Okay, so tonight we're going to continue discussing tefillah, prayer. I want to address some things that, that some people brought up um, that they wanted to, to talk to, issues issues in tefillah and how we're supposed to address those properly. But, and, but that will be all within the construct of really taking a, a closer look at what tefillah is really all about, what prayer is really all about. I'll share with you, I saw this morning a fascinating piece from the altar of Slabatka. The altar of altar, or altar is the Yiddish word for elder. And uh, <clears throat> the altar of Slabatka was the head of a very important uh, institution. It was called, for those who want to know, it was called Knesset Beis Yisrael. It was one of two, the, the capital city of Lithuania was called Kovna. Kovno was the capital city of Lithuania, believe it or not. Not Vilna, Kovno was the capital city of Lithuania, and, or at least the Jewish capital of Lithuania. And uh, in, the, in, in, that, in the city of Kovno was a small suburb called Slabotka. Now, in that, in, that, in that little town of Slabotka, in that little suburb of Slabotka, were two of the most important yeshivot in the pre, in pre-war, in, the, really in, the, in between the wars. The, in the, between the wars, probably, from between those two yeshivas, probably produced the vast majority of Torah leaders of this past gener of the past of the immediate past generation, um, well, I mean it's not such immediate past anymore. Um, the, the 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 founding of all the rebuilding of Amer- both both of Torah study, both in America and Israel, was built on the on the students that came out of those yeshivas. So so just as a the sort of an introduction, the the, the mother, what's considered the mother of all yeshivas was a big yeshiva called Valajan. Valajan was started by the it was the first yeshiva of the modern era. Yeshivas prior to the, to the modern era were essentially every rabbi in, or any rabbi who was of the capability would have a stipend provided to him by his congregant, by his congregation, which meant the whole city, the whole village. They, they didn't have real cities. And he, would have, he had a few students that he could support that would come and study with him. In the time at the end of the at the end of the 18th century, um, as the as the um, Enlightenment period started to sort of the the Enlightenment from Western Europe sort of started spreading east, there became a need or a necessity to come or create a more formalized type of setting in which students could study. And Reb Chaim Valajner, the the main student of the Vilna Gaon of, of Reb Eliyahu Vilna. Started what was then called the first the first yeshiva in the city in a, in the city called Valajan was the yeshiva of Valajan. That yeshiva stayed open for all close to a hundred years. It closed in it closed in uh, in 1883, and uh, unfortunately, it was Jews that caused this closing of what had, what they did was they reported to the Russian government that there weren't enough secular studies going on there. So initially, the head of the yeshiva at that time increased the secular studies, increased and got to a point where he said it's not worth it anymore and they just closed the yeshiva down. And the yeshiva then moved from there to Warsaw and he died within a year of you know a broken heart basically really essentially that was but that was that was but from that yeshiva in Valojan it spawned many other smaller yeshivas. Now during that particular time period they started a movement that was called that we know as the Musa movement. If if you want um, it's probably an, an accurate way to 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 uh, quantify the Muslim movement would be to call it the the, the Lithuanian Hasidus, the Hasidus for Lithuanians. In other words, <coughs> the joke goes that a, that a Lithuanian is not happy unless he has a frown on his face, and they're just you know, <laughs> smiling. It just kind of breaks the breaks the breaks the machine. It's just not a Lithuanian thing. So the, so the, the, it was a it's sort of a thought-oriented, instead of an emotionally-oriented Hasidus is, is what Musa really tended to be. 
it was not without its own controversy, not for tonight's class, come on Monday night and we'll talk about that in greater depth, right? But, but essentially one of the main students of the, 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 the founder of the Muslim movement was a man by the name of Yisrael, Rabbi Saul Lipkin, or better known as Rabbi Saul Salanter, because he was from the city of Salant. And his major, one of his major students was, uh, was a man by the name of, was, was a man who became known as the Altar of Kelm, the Elder of Kelm, which is another tiny little village. And his main student was, was, was the Altar of Slabatka. The Altar of Slabatka's name is actually a pretty famous name because he has a grandson and a great-great-grandson who shared the same name. His name was Nassan Tzvi Finkel. Nassan Tzvi Finkel, that's the same name as the, as the immediate past Rosh Hashiva, head of the Yeshiva of the Yeshiva in Mir and Yerushalayim. And he also, there was, a, there was an interim Nassan Tzvi Finkel who was also head of the Yeshiva of the Mir in Mir, which is in Belarus. And the Nassan Tzvi Finkel of, of the head of the Yeshiva of Slabatka. Now the reason why Slabatka is such an important Yeshiva is because Slabatka, the mother, is basically all... Certainly, the vast majority of American yeshivot are students of the Alto Sabatka, including Rav Yitzhak Hutner, who headed the yeshiva Chaim Berlin, um, Rav Henach Leibowitz, who headed the yeshiva Chafetz Chaim, the Chafetz Chaim yeshivas in New York, um, the, the heads of the yeshivas in, uh, in, in the, the Rav uh, Yaakov Kamenetsky, who was the head of yeshiva Torah Vadas in New York, one of the biggest yeshivas in New York, and uh, Rav Yaakov Yitzhak Ruderman, who was the head of the yeshiva in, in, uh, in, uh, in Baltimore, um, um, and Reb Nassim Svifinkel Valtz from Slabatka sent his son to become the Rosh Yeshiva of Tells, which responds to the Tells Yeshivas as we know them today, and Riverdale and other, other smaller Yeshivas that have come. So all, really, much of Torah as we know it comes from this, from, comes down to us from the Alts of Slabatka, pretty much directly from the Alts of Slabatka. He, he has a book, a Musr Sefer, um, uh, where, in which he discusses the following idea, which I saw the following phenomenal concept, and I think it's a, it's a helpful concept for us to keep in mind um, when we're talking about tefillah. He's talking about the, 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 um, the, uh, the underlying principle in which the way he approached how to build students Reb Nassim Sifinkel was a, was a, the Alto Sabaka was a master at building students. Not forming students, but building students. He was able to pick out the inherent uh, qualities of each of his individual great students and many, many great students that he transformed into, into great men and to bring out that, 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 that their qualities and their potential to their, to the absolute maximum. His, his driving underlying theory of how to deal with people was, in, I guess in today you would call it like a positive, was building self-esteem or positive psychology in terms of, he said, every person has to look at himself as though he's at Salamalakim, you're created in the image of God, you are a prince, a magnificent prince, of which there's no other like you, you are the most incredible being that it's possible for a person to be. But he writes also that this concept is, on some level, quite quite frightening. Quite, it's it's quite quite intimidating. And in the sense that, in what sense? He says because, on one hand, being a prince, being a person of high, of sort of tremendous nobility, of of tremendous quality, of having a, being a person of stature. You know, that gives me great joy. I'm, I'm a special person. And a person should dress that way. He should walk that way. He presents himself that way. He should feel that way. He should groom himself that way. That's the way you should act. You should walk down the street and act as though you're a prince. 
But on the other hand, along with that also comes a tremendous responsibility. Because if you fail as a prince, you're not just a mere nobody, nothing that nobody cares about that failed. You're a prince that failed. You are, in fact, he goes one step further. Uh, use the words, and I don't want to get into the depth of this concept tonight, but, but we'll use the word. Use the, you, the concept is you are a Tzalem Elohim. You're created in the image of God. When you profane that image, you don't simply profane your own image. You profane the very image of God. That means you have, each one of us has such a tremendous responsibility. We're walking around with the responsibility of the image of God that we're responsible for. There's a, there's a Rashi, the Rashi, the famous commentator on Chomish, there's a famous Rashi on the, the verse that talks about uh, how we deal with people who've been executed by the Bezdin. If a person uh, commits a crime for which there is a capital punishment, whatever that, whatever the, whatever that happens to be, the halacha is, the Torah says, that you have to take that person's, after, after we execute the person, then we take his body and we display it publicly to show essentially to show this is what happens to people who do this kind of thing. However, the Torah also is very stringent and it says you can only do that until the sun goes down, until the end of that day. By the end of the day, you have to take the body down and bury the person right away. So there's this, what's going on? Either you're displaying the body or not displaying the body. How, how does this work? So Rashi quotes, is quoting a Gemara in Sanhedrin actually, quotes the Gemara that says the following. This is a parable that can be, can, that can be explained in the following way. Imagine you have two twin brothers. Two brothers, they look identical, exactly the same. One of them becomes, is, is extremely successful and he fulfills his potential to the utmost and eventually rises in the ranks and becomes a person of nobility, becomes a person of stature, becomes the head of the city, becomes a, let's, let's call him a prince. Let's say you call him, becomes the king. The other brother, a bit of a troublemaker. And a little bit of trouble leads to a little bit more trouble. It leads to a lot of trouble. Eventually, he ends up being a highway robber. Eventually, he's apprehended for his crimes and, and executed. And then they take his brother. Two twin brothers that look identical. They take the dead uh, robber brother and they hang his body in public. Everybody that looks by and says, what's going on? The prince is being hung up there. So that's the ultimate shame is being shed on the, on the prince because... His brother, who looks identical to him, is now being displayed in this gruesome, not-so-pleasant manner. This, says, says the Gemara, is what we have to feel like when we do something wrong. You are, a, person, a person is created, actually, the, the verse in the Torah actually says it. A person is created in the image of God. That's the image of God that gets hung up there. Says, says the altar from Sabbath, if you truly feel that, if you truly experience that, then every time, every time you experience the joy of knowing that you are a prince, that you are a princess, that you are the, the ultimate expression of godliness and the ultimate expression of what, of what potential a person can be, along with that comes a tremendous sense of responsibility and perhaps even a sense of awe and trembling. He says it can be compared to when Yaakov Avinu, when Jacob goes past the place of the Mikdash, this is how it tries into our concept of tefillah for tonight. When Yaakov Avinu passes on his, on, his, on, his, on his escape from his brother Esau, when he's escaping from his brother Esau, it says that he went past the place where the Makum HaMikdash, the place where ultimately the temple was going to be built, where his, uh, where his father and his grandfather had both stopped to pray. Yaakov Avinu realizes that he went past that place and he says, how could I go past that place and not stop and pray? He returns to that place to go and pray. That's where it says, Yaakov Avinu arrived at the place. What is the place? What is the Makum? What is the, 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 the center of place in the world? The planet, the, that which defines 
space as we know it. That's the place of the Beis Hamikdash. That's the place actually, where, and where in our tradition, that's the place from which the the point from which the whole world emanates. The point from which the whole world was created. It's as though God took one little spot and expanded out from there. As it says that the world is an expanding universe. It ex- it's an expansion of reality from that one from that from the, from that one place. And Yaakov, when he arrives at that place, and the sun sets, and Yaakov lies down to go to sleep, there and he has that fantastic dream. And in that dream, there's the ladder that's going up and down, and there Malachim, there are celestial beings that are going up and down this ladder, and Hashem gives him all sorts of promises. God promises Yaakov that you're you're going to return here, and your children will conquer this land. And the Medrash even tells us that all of the land of Israel was folded up underneath him, as though to to indicate that it would be easy, just like just like you're lying on the whole place, you'll conquer this whole place. Yaakov Avinu sleeps through all of this, and when he wakes up, it says when Yaakov Avinu woke up the next morning, Yaakov Avinu says it says. And all of a sudden, he took tremendous. He got. It says, "Vayikatz Yaakov Mishinah." So Yaakov Avinu woke up from his sleep, right? Vayira, and he was afraid. And he was afraid. He experienced a sense of dread, a sense of fear, a sense of awe. He says, "Manora hamokom How awesome is this place? This is the house of God. This is the gateway to heaven. This is the. I, I'm sleeping here. This is the place where I'm asleep. In this, at the same time as that tremendous dream that he just had of all of this, this prophetic vision of all of these this tremendous blessings that are coming to him, but at the same time, there's a tremendous sense of awesomeness. A tremendous manora makamazes. Says a fantastic idea. He says the moment that I recognize, right, that that the anochi. Anochi, you and I am in the image of God, but that, that recognition of that inner essence of what I really am brings along with it a tremendous sense of, of, of responsibility and awesomeness, a tremendous and, and a sort of an awestruck reality that I have to be realized what I am, what my potential is. I have to make sure that I fulfill that potential, that I don't somehow embarrass who I represent and what I represent in my very essence and my very core of my being. A person has to recognize his inner dimension is ultimately always speaking to us. Our inner, our inner core is always speaking to us. That's who I'm supposed to be. If you want to know what the essence of tefillah is, you want to know what the essence of prayer is, the essence of prayer is the expression of ratzon. Ratzon... The word ratzon means desire. It means it means desire, but it means desire. It's the most. It's the the innermost essence of who I really am, expressed not caused by anything else. Most things in the world are sort of cause and effect. Everything everything that I do, I do. I act in a certain way because something that happened to me before, and something that before that, and something before that. Until you can trace back to the very innermost core of what a person is at his innermost being. That's the place. When, when I daven, when I pray, when I express tefillah, what I'm ultimately trying to change, it's a little bit along the lines of the idea that we spoke about last week, transforming yourself into a new being by tefillah means because I, I get to the very point of ratzon and I nullify myself to ex- be an expression only of what Hashem really wants from me. Not to be an expression of self, but an expression of something that is higher than myself. Listen to this fascinating idea. The word ratzon, the word ratzon, the numerical value in in Hebrew, the numerical value of the word ratzon is 364. 306, 300 and, excuse me, 344. 344. Ratzon is 344. The word for makar, for the source of what something is, is also 344. Right? Makar is right, 300 and, 344. 
Right? Right? So Makar is Mem is forty, Kuf is a hundred, is hundred and forty, right? Um Reish is two hundred, is three hundred, right? And uh, uh Vav is six. Right? So what do I have? Mem, Kuf, Vav, Resh, three, 346. 46, I'm sorry, 346. Right? is the same thing. Resh is 200. Tzadi is 90. Nun is 50. That's 340. Plus Vav is 6. And that, that is, the, the, what is 346? 346 is Shemo, his name. Hashem's name, Shin, is 300. Mem is 40. Vav is 6. So Ratzon, my innermost desire, the, my, the, the Ratzon is my Makar, which is an expression of Shemo, it's an expression of Hashem's reality, an expression of the highest dimension of what God is. That's that essentially what I'm striving for in my tefillah, is to, to work on changing my Ratzon. Meaning, I want my Ratzon to be Hashem's Ratzon. I want my Ratzon to be something that's more than myself. I want to be something that's higher than myself. How do I make myself in? How do I make my Ratzon? I have to completely empty myself out to become nothing so that I can be the expression of everything. That's why it says that Moshe Rabbeinu is the greatest of all men. What, what makes Moshe Rabbeinu so great? Because he's Moshe Rabbeinu is the most humble of people that has ever lived in the world. That humility allows him to be completely empty so that he can become completely full. That the, 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 the expression of what he is is not, there's no, wherever there's an expression of self, the, the Gemara says like this, the Gemara says in Sota, the Gemara says that, that if a person is a Balgaiva, if a person is arrogant, Hashem says it's, it's so hard to talk about these concepts without talking about the Hebrew. So it's, it's, just, it's, a, it's a challenge. I know sometimes some people are not as familiar with the Hebrew, but, but without the Hebrew, it's, it's, you just, you, the expression of anything at its core, at its essence of what something is, can only be expressed in Lashon HaKodesh, can only be expressed in the Hebrew. The Hebrew is... Language, for the most part, is simply a, 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 a consensus of expression. In other words, we decide that this object, which has legs and a flat surface on top of it, is called a table, and this object that has, four, that has legs and a seat on top of it that you sit on is called a chair. But we could just as easily say that the, this chair is a table, and this table is a chair. Right? We could decide that these things with a flat top on top of it could be called chairs. If we'd all agree that these are called chairs and those were called tables, then that's what it would be. But in Lashon HaKodesh, in Hebrew, that's not what it is. In Lashon HaKodesh, what a thing is, is the word that's used to describe it. And the, the word that's used, in Hebrew, the word for a thing is a davar. And the word for a word is a davar. Because every davar is the davar. The word is the thing. It's not, it's not, the, the, the word that's used to describe it in the Torah's language, in Lashon HaKodesh, in the, in the Hebrew, is the essence of what that thing is. That's, that describes its essence. So if you want to know what's the essence of Makar, of the source of who I am, that's my Ratzon, and ultimately what it's supposed to be, Shmo, it's supposed to be Hashem, an expression of Hashem. I'm supposed to be an expression of the name of Hashem. That's, that's what I'm supposed to live as. I am at Salam al-Kim. Like, 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 like the altar from Sabbath was saying, I am at Salam al-Kim. That's what I am. That's my whole essence. 
Manorah, how, how awesome is that? How awe-inspiring is it to be just a manifestation of the reality of what Hashem is? And how often do we fail at that? That's what the Gemara says, that if a person is a Balgaiva, if a person is arrogant, Hashem says, We can't be in the same world. A person, when he's a Balgaiva, he's he's it's as though he's pushing Hashem out of his world. He's pushing God out of his world because by expressing, expressing myself as who I am, is by expressing an I, an, an ani, what, that, that this is what I am, I am now expressing in myself something separate, so to speak, from Hashem, from HaKadosh Baruch It's as though I'm creating an independent... The, the whole reality of Bechira, of having free choice, of, of mankind having the ability to choose, is the ability to either decide that I'm an expansion or an extension or the, and a manifestation of Hashem's reality in the world, or the manifestation of spiritual potential in the physical dimension. That's what I am. That's my whole essence. Just like a malach. The word malach means a messenger, right? We think of malach when somebody says to you, what's a malach? A malach says to you an angel. That's such a... English, when, when people translate words into English, they destroy the whole essence of what it is. Because, because an, a malach is an angel. What, what's an angel? Uh, it's some sort of a thing with like a halo around his head. By the way, a halo comes from the Hebrew word, but hilo neiroi al it comes from the word hilo, which means a, 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 a circle of light, some a crown that's over, that's on top of one's head. But 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 a malach is not just some just not just some being with a halo on top of his head. A malach, the the word malach also means a messenger. You know what a malach is? He's a message of God. That's what he is. His, his whole, that's why it says when, when Avram Avinu is visited, when Abraham is visited by Malachim, it says there came three angels came to see him. Why did three angels? Why did he need three angels? The answer is because there were three missions that needed to be accomplished. And each angel has only one mission at a time. Why? Because an angel is his message. He is his mission. That's what his, his whole essence is that mission. That's all he is. He's, he's the manifestation of a divine will as it should be carried out in this world. That's, that's what he is. That's, what I'm, that's, what, that's, what, that's, that's the essence of what it is. And that's what we're trying to become. It's just an expression of our whole idea of what we're trying to do. When we're, when we're praying, in the, in the concept of prayer, the palel, the, the wrestling, the struggle of it is to negate who I am, negate what I am, so I can simply be an expression of something that's more than myself. And the only way to do that is to, is to empty myself out completely so that I become only an expression of the things that are higher than who I am. And the reality is, is the only way to do that is to is to properly, like we mentioned, we started on this idea last week, and we sort of said that this was the central nakuda, the central point of what we want out of tefillah. But it, it expresses it in multiple different ways. We spoke about that you have to prepare for tefillah. Last week we spoke about preparation in terms of understanding what tefillah is and understanding the words, looking over the words beforehand. But another aspect, another dimension of that is you have to prepare the time for tefillah also. You have to know, okay, I'm going to, to, now is going to be the time when I'm going to daven. This is the time when I'm going to pray. Somebody asked me, what, what about if, if the prayer service, so if I go to a prayer service where they daven too quickly for me, they, they move too quickly. So, so the answer to that has to be, you have to, each one of us has to segment off a certain amount of time that this is the time in which I'm davening. This is the time in which I'm praying. However long it takes me to get through the prayers, that's how much time I have to segment for myself and wake up and do that and make sure that I do it. What, I'm going to waste my opportunity to have an, an, a, a divine confrontation by, to, for, for a few extra minutes of sleep or because I have to run out to a meeting to do what? 
to earn some money so that I can give that money to someone so that I can earn some more money so, so I can get involved in the rat race of what life of the way we live it. That's what, is that what it's really all about? It has to be, there has to be a higher purpose for, what, for the things that we do. And there has to be a prioritization of our time and our efforts and our energies. Where do we put our, what do we put our energy into? Do we, pro- do we properly prepare the time? Do we properly set aside time so that we say, this is the time in which I'm going to be davening. This is the time in which I'm going to say these prayers. It takes me a little longer. I'll start a little earlier. I'll get there a few minutes beforehand. And I'll put my dials and film on. I'll spend a few extra minutes thinking about the davening. I'll spend a few extra minutes in meditation. I saw in a sefer that he brings down from he brings down from uh, Rabbi Sol Salanter and the Vilna Gaon both used to say that that it's worthwhile having some sort of a mantra that it, that inspires you. You have to find you have to find like a verse, a a concept, an idea that becomes like a mantra for yourself. It, it's a little bit I, you know I, I was at, at Rabbi Dollinger's tshuva drasha and he have, he gave a fantastic demonstration of the power of meditation of allowing a person to get become focused to get to get into the groove of being able to 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 be spiritually aware and ready to do what you need to do it's you know there, there's a concept that you say if you know if if you there's there is such a thing as jewish meditation but if you can't find it through jewish meditation so go to a, go to a non-jewish meditative for meditative sources and figure out how to meditate properly but <laughs> The danger of it is, is that they meditate over silly things. Like, uh, you know, the, they, they use this word, the, I think in the, in the Eastern religions, they use this word like Om, right? It becomes like the, it means nothing, something that's meaningless. Don't, don't take something meaningless. Focus on something that's meaningful. Take something. Take a take a verse. Take a verse that says. Uh, I, I just heard somebody saying before. Um, uh, you can't take it with you, right? So there's a verse in Tehillim that says, "Kilo b'moso yikachakol." Right? It says. It says, "Al al tira kiyashirish." The pasuk in Tehillim says as follows: The pasuk in Psalm says, "Al tira kiyashirish." Don't be afraid when you see other people who become wealthy, right? Al tira kiyashirish lo yer lo yer. Because kiloba moso yikachakol, when he dies, he's not taking it with him. With him, his honor, the, the the things that he accomplishes, the things that people that we see that we presume are accomplishments in this world, we don't really get to take them with us. So, so meditate on that idea. I will not, my honor, the glory, the things that I think are, are are important to me in this world. Right, they're not going with me. And therefore, therefore, uh, therefore, a person has to focus on the things that are important. So you, you could meditate on that concept. You could just simply plug into that and you just go, Kilo b'moso yikachakol. Kilo b'moso yikachakol. You, 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 whether it's with a tune, if, if, you, if you like the way you sound in a tuneful way, then say it in a tuneful way. If you don't like the way you sound, then just meditate on the words and say the words out loud and mean them and form the words correctly because that's such a critical element of it. The, um, the Sefer Haredim says that the words of tefillah are like, are like bread is to, are to your soul what bread is to your body. Just like bread to your body, you have to grind the wheat up properly and you have to make the flour and you have to form the dough and you have to make the bread, bake the bread properly and it has to be fully formed and fully, in order for it to be nutritious and in order for it to taste good, in order for you to be able to get it down. When it comes to the food for your soul, those are the words of tefillah, those are the words of prayer that you say. Form those words correctly. Learn how to say the words and say them correctly because it's important that they're fully formed and fully enunciated and fully full and said, said 
carefully and, and fully. And that's what I'm saying. But if you need, but before you do that, before all of that, it's important to get into the groove. It's important to get into into the into the mindset of what it is. So let's say this is my this is my this is my mantra. And when a person dies, this life is temporary, and everything about this life is temporary, and everything that I accomplish in this life is only temporary. It's not going with me. Now, now I'm ready to pray to God. Now, if all of that's not going with me, then what is important? What's all important is that I be a manifestation of my Tzalam Elohim. I be a manifestation of my image, of my being in the image of God. That's what's important to me. Oh, so now I can enter tefillah in a whole different way. Now, now I enter into my prayer service on an elevated plane on a whole different level. Just, just I, I, I want to focus on this idea of, of, of prayer as song just, just for a moment. Because I, I see... I, I see I, I, about about a year ago, I, I, all of a sudden it hit me a, a, an understanding of something that had bothered me for a very long time. There was a there was a a story in my yeshiva when I was born, when I in the yeshiva that I went to where I was educated that went as follows. There used to be they went in the, in the early in the from from after the war until the early seventies there used to be a mashgiach. The mashgiach is considered like the spiritual guide of the yeshiva. The rosh yeshiva is the intellectual guide, and the mashgiach is the spiritual guide. So the so the so the mashgiach of the yeshiva in Narisol was a man by the name of um, of Reb David um, Reb David. Uh, Forget his last name right now. It will come back to me in a minute. So Reb David was the was the spiritual mashgiach. There many many great stories with him. He was a phenomenal, very understanding of people, very very insightful, you know, and a, a very straightforward person, just like a completely straight person. One of, one of the funny stories he used to say, you know, it was his responsibility was to make sure that the, the boys came to the, came to, to davening on time and to make sure that they came to the learning when they were supposed to be in learning. So one time he was doing, he was going back to the dorm to raid the dorms, right? And he's walking down the dorm. One of the boys sees him going down there. So they ran ahead of him. They ran, they, they ran to the phones. They saw him leave the base medish building and go down towards where the dorms were. So they ran to the phones and called the dormitory to tell him that, he, that, that Reb David is coming. And he, the, the, so the phone rings in the dormitory, and somebody picks it up, and the bacher, the young, the young yeshiva boy, says into the phone, Reb David's coming, Reb David is coming. And Reb David had picked up the phone, and he says, and who are you? Paul Revere. Right? And he hung up the phone, right? Because he was, he was a European, you know, he, he, he was a survivor of the war. He went, to, went through Shanghai and he came to, came to Yeshiva. He, he, had a very, he had a very nice sense of humor, a way about him that, that but one thing that he did not want, that he was very, very against, was singing in davening. You're not, you don't sing during davening. In the yeshiva, at that time, apparently, they didn't sing Lechadodi on Friday night. They, they chanted it in a very solemn, somber tune, very litrish kind of, right? No singing. Knows that even up until today, Kel Adon, you know, in the, in the morning prayers, when in the part of the morning prayer where we sing right before the Shema, they don't, they don't, in the yeshiva, they still don't, even until today, they don't sing it in the yeshiva. They, they say it in a sort of sing-song chant, but they don't, they don't sing it. But he, the, so, some of the Bachrim went to, uh, American Bachrim, you know, they, they, they grew up in uh, young Israel and, and shuls in America, and shuls in America, everybody sings L'chadodi, every place you go, there's no place you go, you're not going to find a shul that doesn't sing L'chadodi. So these boys all came to Yeshiva, they come to Yeshiva, and there's no singing, what's going on? There's no singing L'chadodi, what kind of business is that? They went to the Rosh Yeshiva and they said, we really want to be able to sing L'chadodi during the davening. Rashiva thought about it and went back and forth. He also is of a Litvish. He also came from Lithuania. In Lithuania, they never sang, but he understood where the boys were coming from, so he said, okay, you can, you can sing. 
Rabbi David said, absolutely not. And, and there was a, his name was Rabbi David Kronglas. So Rabbi David, Rabbi David said, absolutely not. We can't, you know, no, there's no singing. There's not, it's not happening. Rashiva said, yes, it is. It's my yeshiva. I'm in charge. They're singing. Rabbi David, they said, this is the, this is, this is the legend in the yeshiva. Again, Rabbi David died in 1973. That's before my time. Um, so they said Rabbi David did not come to Kabbalah Shabbos. He did not come to the to that that introductory prayer that we say before Marv on Friday night for an entire year in protest to the fact that they were singing Lachadodi. An entire year he didn't come to Yeshiva. So the story always a nice story, interesting story. You know, fascinating. He stood on principle. He did a big believer. What, what, what's the big deal? What what's wrong with singing? What's the big? What's the? And then about a year ago, I just I had an epiphany about the. Singing is a very important part of tefillah, and it could be a very important part of tefillah. Just like I'm saying, this meditative getting yourself into the mindset is, is an important part of tefillah, and it's important to have a chazan. The, 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 it's very clear in the halacha that if you have a chazan, he has to have a nice voice, and he has to be somebody that people can listen to, etc. Right? But, but what happens is, and 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 I don't I don't know if anyone in this room is a is a fan of Jewish music, but at all. But if you listen to Jewish music, what you see is there's very little relationship between the words that are being sung and the tunes that are being used. Um, the one that comes that springs to my mind all the time is there's a there's a uh, there's a famous song from one of the children's choirs that that sings a song about lo raav la lechem It's a prophecy that comes from that comes from uh, from Yoel, I believe it is. It's either one of one of the treos or one of the tw- twelve minor prophets. The prophecy basically goes like this: the prophecy says there will come a time when there will not be a famine for bread, and there will not be a famine. There will not be there will be no thirst for water. The only famine that there will be will be there will be a dearth of God's word in the world. The world will be a place that will be barren of God's, God's words. Now they made a song out of that verse. Now, now when you read that verse, it, it's not a very happy thing. That's not a very happy time when there's no famine, when people are so sated with food and drink and they take care of their physical stuff, but their spiritual souls are not being nurtured. Now, I could be Melamitskos. There is an interpretation of that passage that says that people will not be hungry. There'll be no, there'll no, there'll be no, uh, people will, their desire will not be for bread and for water, but rather their desire will be for the God's words. Maybe, maybe we could, we could get around it like that. But, but the problem is that I don't believe that anybody stopped to even think about what the verse is really talking about. They just, oh, it's good for thing, it fit the words, very nice. Oh, say, sing a song about it. it the, this is what Rav David was worried about. The problem is with song, the problem with music is, music speaks to the soul directly. But we have words in tefillah, in prayer, we have words that are supposed to speak to your soul. Not just the music. It can't be about the music because sometimes the music and the words are not in sync. And when the music and the words are not in sync, that's not, okay. that's, that's not tefillah, that's not prayer anymore. And you've lost the whole meaning. You've lost the whole... So yes, there is a place. There is a time and a place for Tila. In fact, in the Holy Temple, in the base of Mikdash, they sang, they were, they were, the Levim sang. Levim were supposed to sing. In fact, there were, there were Levim who sang and there were Levim who opened the gates. You know, they, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were called the Shoirim, the ones that sing, and the Shoirim, the ones that opened the gates because they couldn't sing. right? Only, and, and they sang, they had beautiful choirs and they sang beautiful voices and, and King David was a, was a phenomenal musician. It's clear that music is a big part of that. 
it says that 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 when the when the musician played the music, then the spirit of Hashem came on the prophet, and he was able to say his prophecy. It's clear that music can move a person to a different place, but the music has to be in sync with what it is that you're doing at the time. You can't get absorbed into the music. When I, the, this this what what I see, see sometimes is that the music has a different feel to it. It's completely not related to the words that you're singing. It's completely not related to the theme and the mood of what's going on in the prayers. That's a big problem. That's, that, that's, that, then, then it becomes, the music becomes a distraction. I believe that's what Reb David was worried about. That's why he said you can't sing, because you, singing also leads to a certain level of lightheartedness, a certain level of, of sort of tapping the feet and starting to dance. When, when you're in the middle of a, a serious prayer, you're singing on, you're in the middle of the Rosh Hashanah davening and, and your feet are, you know, starting to, to, to dance, and, you're, and meanwhile you're, you're talking about, uh, you're talking about an Asana Tokif, you're talking about the the the, 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 the decree to live or die in the coming year it's just not appropriate it just doesn't fit it's not it's it has to be done carefully some of the old chazanim if you go back to the old chazanas they were actually very good at this in the in more modern times i find more and more that there's there's a huge disconnect between what's being sung between the songs that are being sung the tunes that are being used and and the words that, that, that they're actually trying to express and perhaps that's so that's what it is so so just to just to to sort of reiterate this idea, yes, there is a makom, there is a place, there is a reality of song within prayer. Yes, as long as it's in tune with what it is that they're supposed to do, and it's critical that a person not only not only sing the words but know what the words are, meditate on the concept, meaning get myself into the right mood, into the right frame of mind by taking a single phrase and meditating only on that phrase and that phrase alone, so that I'm in the frame of mind where. I'm I'm ready to express my tefillah, have a space, not, I don't mean a physical space, but a space in terms of ta- a time space in which this is my time to daven. I'm going to daven only during this time. I'm not going to rush. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say the words too quickly. I'm not going to stumble over the words. I'm going to say every word. And it, the truth of the matter is, a per- <coughs> if a person can, and this is, a, this is a critical element, you shouldn't be skipping through the prayers either. When a person should see the tefillahs were set up, the prayers that we have, the, the set liturgy that we have, was created with tremendous wisdom. And there's tremendous, there's, there are connections between one step of the tefillah and the next. It's supposed to build you up one step at a time. Rabbi Yaakov Emden, one of the great scholars from the, from the, 18th, from the mid-18th century, has a sitter called the Sitter Beis Yaakov. Not surprising, his name was Yaakov, but the Sitter Beis Yaakov. In the Sitter Beis Yaakov, he shows how the prayer, the structure of prayer is a process of entering into the temple. You go from the courtyard into the Ezra's Nashim, and from the Ezra's Nashim into the Ezra's Yisrael, and from the Ezra's Yisrael into the, into the, into the Azara, into the courtyard where the altar was, and then from there into the Mikdash, into the, into the holy, the holier area of the Mikdash where the golden Mizbeach was and where the menorah was and from there when you get to Shemoneso you're supposed to be thinking about you're now entering into the Kodesh Kadashim you're now entering into the Holy of Holies you're in a direct relationship a direct conversation with God you've built yourself up step by step through the palace which is our our manifestation or our, the way we see the palace as, as the Beis HaMikdash you've gotten all the way up to the Kisa up to the place where the Arna Kodesh is to, to confront Hashem directly and then slowly as the Tefillah goes back Tachanun 
Yon, and then Ashrei again, and then Volatzion, and Aleinu, you're slowly stepping back out again. You, you enter into the Mikdash and you go back out of it. If you skip steps, what you're doing is you're skipping a part of the, of the it's part You're moving part, through part of the process without actually experiencing the full experience of what the Mikdash is, of what the Holy Temple is. It takes a person a little longer, or if a person needs help to, to choose which are the primary prayers, perhaps sometimes it's going to be too long for a person. That's also important. But again, it's important to, as much as we spoke about last week, it's important to prepare what tefillah is all about and which, which, which uh, know what the words are going to mean. It's also important to set aside the time, to dedicate the time, say, this is my dedicated time to do it. It makes me so crazy that people, there, there are people, they come to Domining, right, and then they, they have to take their talis and tefillin off, right, so that the second Domining is over, they run out of there. And if davening was going to take an extra minute, I, I want to tell you something. The difference between a very fast davening and a medium-paced davening is about two minutes. Literally, it's about two minutes. It really is. It's, it's a couple of seconds over each tefillah, and just take, it, it takes two minutes longer. A 42-minute davening is very fast. A 45-minute davening is reasonable. And for some people, maybe it's a 50-minute davening or a 55-minute davening. But think about it. You don't, nobody wastes 10 minutes in their entire day that for an extra 10 minutes you can't... Just schedule your day so that it starts 10 minutes later. Or schedule your day so you come 10 minutes earlier so that you can, so you can get settled, so that you can make it... That's what we need to do. We're, we're coming into a direct meeting with God. That's what we're doing. You're expressing your Tzalem Elohim, and that is a tremendous, ju- tremendous joy. That's a tremendous privilege. That's an amazing thing. You are a Tzalem Elohim. That's what you are. You're a prince, but you have to act like that prince. You have to be that prince. And if you, sh- if when you profane that, when you are, sh- when you shame that, you're not just shaming, you know, somebody, Mister Nobody, Mister Nobody on the street somewhere. You're shaming a prince. You're sh- you are in the image of God. That's what you are. You, ma- you're a manifestation of what God is in this world. Be that. Be it. Live it. Be, it. Grab hold of it. That's what tefillah is there for. That's what, that's what the expression of tefillah is really supposed to be. All right. Thank you. Thank you.